0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Source Material Comics Podcast. That is correct. You know, I said, look, we need to talk about She-Hulk. No, I didn't. I think Evan Bevins threw this at me. (laughs) I'm looking for something to talk about. What do we need to talk about? And Evan came up with a few ideas, and this one stuck out. And uh, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the fact that we have an ongoing She-Hulk series on Disney Plus right now that I'm enjoying. So Evan Bevins is here to let us know... Why we are talking the sensational She Hulk this evening?
1: Okay, well Tell it's kind me. of a long and winding road. Um, oh. All right, really. um, <laughs> I was going for for my uh, my blog that I'll I'll plug later, asterisk 51blogspotcom
0: dot that much later? <laughs>
1: yeah, well, you know, I, I don't know. You could uh, you could kick me off, or we could lose internet. Uh, you know.
0: All right, right. You never know.
1: Got gotta get it in while I can. I was looking for something to to tie in with She-Hulk and I remembered a uh, a long time ago I I picked up sensational She-Hulk number 12 which featured She-Hulk the movie. Yes. And this was after She-Hulk had been brought back as a as more of a comedy driven title you know i know everybody always thinks of she hulk as a deadly serious character judging from the online reaction to some of the humorous moments in the show but uh yeah, yeah it turns out she's always been kind of fun and so i remembered the this issue i remember john byrne being associated with this but it turned out that that issue was written by peter david and if you want funny comics Peter David is, you know, one of the top guys to turn to. Mm -hmm. So I was curious if this was just a, you know, a fill-in or what. So I started looking at some other issues uh, before and after this. And I found out that lo and behold, Peter David was doing a fill-in and the regular writer that followed him was none other than Steve Gerber. This is
0: a creator that you've talked highly of him before. I've heard other people I've uh, talked comics with just go on about how much they've enjoyed his work, but, I honestly don't think I had read anything that I remember him. Let's try it this way, because I know I sent it to you. I was like, I think this might be the first time I've ever read Steve Gerber. And then we started looking at his uh, we started looking at the books he wrote. And uh, sure enough, there were uh, some titles in there that I'd recognized. But the reputation that precedes Steve Gerber is the humor. And I think a lot of that is because he's tied with a very important humorous character in the Marvel Universe. So I but I had never read anything. I'd watched the movie, but I'd never read anything with that character in it. So Steve Gerber, tell tell us about Steve Gerber.
1: Well, of course, you're referring to his ties to Marvel's Kiss comic. (laughs) How how did you know (laughs) that is something he wrote? And it did cross over with the character you are talking about, Howard the Duck. Yes. Um, Yes, And the Howard the Duck movie has its moments, most of them involving Leah Thompson. But if all you know of Howard the Duck is the movie, you, you don't know Howard the Duck. One of my favorite comic series I've ever read. Absolutely hilarious. Talking Duck, smack dab in the middle of the Marvel Universe. Steve Gerber, who has also written a lot of classic superhero stuff, had a great run on Marvel 2 and one that I adored. Uh, you may have, have read some of his stuff and not realized it in the Ultraverse. I think right. he kicked off Exiles and and Sludge.
0: All characters I recognize, yes.
1: At some point, and I, I should have done a little more research on this, but he wanted a little more control and ownership of Howard the Duck than Marvel wanted to give, and so he had left for a while as I understand it, not on the best of terms. And what I got excited about when I saw a that Steve Gerber had had written She-Hulk. So you know I'm always happy to to find some more Steve Gerber stuff I, I haven't read. He, he he started with issue 13, and then he and then issue 14, which is where we're going to start, features She-Hulk teaming up with none other than Howard the Duck. And as All near right. as I can tell, that's the first time he returned to Howard since he uh, since he left the original series. Oh, no kidding. Wow. And Howard is one of those characters that I mean that there he he pops up from time to time. You know he's he's kind of a cult favorite. You know even before I read anything with Howard the Duck, I was just happy that Howard the Duck existed. That something <laughs> this ridiculous was running around in the Marvel universe.
0: Right.
1: Um. So he's you know he he's appeared in other things. Chip Zdarsky did a great revival series with him. You know where we talked about uh, about his Daredevil and then Mark and I while you were uh. While well, you were essential, or mm. even more essential than usual, uh, did Deadpool <laughs> the Duck, where a teleportation accident merged Deadpool and Howard, and they oh, faced great. off against their mutual nemesis, Dr. Bong. Yes, yes. That's nothing to do with marijuana, folks. Get your <laughs> get your minds out of there. Some I've heard several people say that Howard the Duck isn't really Howard the Duck unless Steve Gerber's writing him, and uh, there, there, there's some definite trademark Gerber humor and more In this uh, in this storyline that that we're going to talk about, Uh, in fact, Gerber, uh, who has since passed away, might argue that uh, most stories with Howard the Duck that weren't written by him don't feature Howard the Duck. I still got to read this one, but there was a uh, an unofficial Marvel image crossover where it can be argued Gerber stole Howard back from Marvel. I believe our our friend Chris Sheehan uh, did a deep dive on that. I've got the issues but only read one of them and did not realize the significance at the time. So that's that, that's on my to read list at some point. but as, as to how we we got to doing this, after I stumbled on uh, Gerber writing she hulk and Howard, I know you and I were talking about what we we should do and if we should do anything about uh, with She-Hulk and I said, well, I'm getting ready to read these and uh, you said, well hey why, why don't we do that? Yeah. All right. And so I, and I said, Hey, Jesse, I know you are Mr. Synopsis, but I am writing about these issues anyway, so I will have them synopsized. I love it. So, uh, why don't I just, just adapt that and, uh, run my mouth a little more than usual this evening?
0: Oh, man. Do you know how much pressure that takes off of me? <laughs> it's like, you know, I've, I've done this show so much and I'm, yeah, 90, I would probably say 99.8 percent of these shows that i was on i've done all the synopsis and now having you do this it's like i'm a guest on my own show i love it it's going to be and, fun and,
1: and the best part is all i had to do was condense what i'd already written so it wasn't <laughs> even that much extra work there wasn't even any extra work for me
0: so sh- let me just talk real quick about my experience with Uh, the sensational She-Hulk, did not collect any of it. I knew she was a character out there. And throughout the years, obviously, she had probably run in some of the stuff that I was reading in the later 2000s, especially like Civil War. I think Mm -hmm. I'd seen her uh, pop up in there, but I wasn't reading her in the 90s. I knew a little bit about her fourth wall breaking, that being a thing. And, of course, it seemed like... A lot of times there's going to be some tattered clothes on a very pretty woman in the book, which is it's mostly it's mostly Jennifer Walters trying to cover up because she had turned to She-Hulk or something. I mean, when we open this book, she's already like trying to keep her shirt on because it's torn to it's torn yeah. to shreds. Uh, as a young boy, you're, that's stuff that you're going to probably be aware of, even though I wasn't picking this book up. Um, you're going to see that on the covers of of these books. Uh, and and that's one thing about the She-Hulk book that I remember the most is usually the covers. Uh, Mm. I think they just shared the one about the jump rope uh, (laughs) because uh, of all the flack that she was getting on the show or that how they're portraying her on the show. It's like, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, it's not far from what we used to get in the comic books. I don't understand why people are so upset, but anyway, yeah. When you said Steve Gerber, I was like, let's do this. Because I had not read anything that was Howard the duck Steve Gerber related that I could recall.
1: He he had a brief uh, appearance in civil war where he went to register as a superhuman and was told that the federal government found his existence too perplexing. So their official stance was that he didn't exist. (laughs) That's
0: perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I, as far as Howard in the comics, I mean, like I said, I watched the movie. I know the movie. I I remember watching that over and over. I, I had a babysitter and they had HBO and I, it was, <laughs> they had HBO. I'd go over there and it, it was playing like every every day during the summer. And I was like, oh, man, let's let's see what's happening on uh, where, where we're at now. I don't remember reading anything in the comics about him. Uh, like I said, I th- maybe there was part of a Marvel Zombies, uh, the Marvel Zombies run, one of those sequels or whatever that I can that I can remember him showing up. And I do, however, have the first issue of the 1979 magazine Howard, the duck. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, no, I don't think I have. I ended And this is another auction story. I think I ended up with it accidentally through an auction. It wasn't anything I was shooting for. But next thing I know, I'm looking at it and it's a number. It's the number one issue of the magazine. I was just looking over the creative team on it. It looks like it's a lot of Bill Mantlo.
1: Yeah, he's he's the guy that picked it up. Um, If I recall, after Gerber, he kind of finished out um, the existing storyline. And then, yeah, I, I think I do remember reading about they kind of uh, transitioned it to a ma- magazine.
0: So to kind of give you a, a idea of the humor that has always been kind of associated with Howard the Duck, the cover of the magazine, Howard boldly waddles up to his weirdest foes, the macabre Mr. Chicken, Jackpot, the one-armed bandit, the charismatic chair thing, and I'm going to pronounce this pro rata Cosmic Yet Accountant of
1: the Financial <laughs> Wizard.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny stuff. 64 pages of gleaming glorious black and white. Uh, But there you go. That that is the cover of Howard the Duck, number one, the magazine from 79. But yeah, there's my kind of history with both characters. Both characters I knew about, both characters I don't have a whole lot of history with. When we had the chance to talk about both of these, plus get the opportunity to read about Steve Gerber, I was all for it. You knew wacky stuff was going to be happening in the She-Hulk pages, especially if Steve Gerber is going to be getting a hold of things. So uh, we know he can write seriously, but when you look at the cover of the first issue... (laughs) Guess what? No, that is not happening. Issue 14. That is not happening. We have uh,
1: trapped in the uh, (laughs) bologna verse.
0: Here's She-Hulk and Howard the Duck sitting on top of half of some spicy bologna. It looks like (laughs) some strange stuff is afoot. So I want to step back here, Evan
1: talk a little bit about my history with Howard, because even though, uh, you know, I'm now like, Hey, if you only know the movie, you don't know Howard. I, the first place I actually encountered Howard was even after this, after this issue came out. Uh, but in the pages of generation X, when he, uh, picked up a hitchhiking chamber and skin and gave them a ride back to the Massachusetts Academy. (laughs) Jesus (laughs) Christ. And then he, uh, interesting interaction. Yeah. And then he, uh, They did a spinoff, and I can't believe I never bought this at some point. I I swear I've seen it in some dollar bins, so I'm going to go back and find it, but called Daydreamers, where it was like Howard, Franklin Richards, Artie, Leach, and Man-Thing. Howard has long been associated with Man-Thing. I, I believe that's that's when he first popped up, was at the nexus of all reality in a in a man thing story. So that that came out in the nineties. It wasn't until I got the essential Howard the Duck, you know, those Marvel phone book size black and white reprints that had Gerber's entire run. And I mean, it is just I mean, there's stuff in there that's even more absurd than the baloney verse, and Gerber references a lot of that, but there's also real emotion and character stuff going on.
0: Yeah. That, it takes, it's that just, takes talent to write something that humorous, but actually be, keep that level on both ends without tipping it one way and becoming a joke or tipping it the other and not being as funny, but,
1: yeah, he's uh, you know, I mentioned all the time, I think I've already mentioned Peter David is probably my favorite writer, but I mean, Steve Gerber is is right there in that he can, I mean, he can be as crazy and off the wall as you can tolerate and yet, you know, deliver the goods, classic superhero you know, genuine emotional all that stuff. So like I said, I'm I'm not sure I read much, if any, Steve Gerber before he passed away. And now, you know, if I if I find something that Steve Gerber wrote, I'm I'm liable to to snatch it up. I mean he's you know, he's written, you know, classic Daredevil stuff, um Marvel two and one, like I mentioned, uh that, that great Christmas issue I'm always talking about where the thing in Ghost Rider save Christmas. Right. <laughs> I mean, he even did a one-shot for D.C., in a doctor fate crossover they were doing with with Zariel, you know, the angel that that joined the Justice League and I don't even remember like the action part of it, but this book opens with Zariel visiting a Catholic school class and the kids start asking him all these questions like do pets go to heaven and all this stuff that like you'd re- and, and he's just utterly bewildered, you know, all, all the stuff you'd want to ask a representative of the almighty <laughs> and uh, all the hard questions and Zariel's just like, "Um, well, <laughs> I uh" <laughs> Fantastic,
0: um, uh, She-Hulk.
1: Yeah. I remember getting an issue of the original She-Hulk series at this flea market where I got a lot of my uh, comics, and I knew she was uh, she was the one who replaced the Thing in the Fantastic Four. She was an Avenger, but I just got some of the you know comedic She-Hulk issues he- here and there. Funny thing is, as much as I appreciated the comedy, you know, I, I know some people don't like the fourth wall breaking. I, I like it, I just don't want it to be o- overdone, but I remember there was a Heroes for Hire series when I was in college that I bought a few issues of, and I was trying to decide what, what I could still afford to keep collecting, what, what I'd have to let go, and She-Hulk was their lawyer and guest starred and broke the fourth wall, and I'm like, nah, that's annoying, I'm done. Oh, but because it was outside of her comic I'm like that's cool in her comic but let's not overdo it people.
0: Let's not yeah, um, let's not do this over here. No.
1: So, I I, I don't know. Clearly I wasn't uh, I wasn't too uh attached to that series anyway, but uh that's that's one thing I remember I was like, well that's fine in the pages of She-Hulk, but let's not go overboard.
0: <laughs>
1: but but yeah, that that's so yeah, she, She-Hulk somebody I've, I've always known never really was a uh well, I, I take that I did read uh, She-Hulk when, uh, again, I keep going back to the same themes, and this time it's not Squirrel Girl. But uh, <laughs> Peter David took over her regular series after Dan Slott had been writing it for a while. So put Peter David's name in the credits, and I uh, I bought that uh, as mm-hmm. long as he kept going with it. Uh,
0: do me a quick favor, and, and just for our listeners, I, I know about these characters. Maybe there's something that I do not know. But, uh, can you kind of give us like an origin of Howard the Duck and... She-Hulk here, and that way we kind of know okay. who we're getting.
1: Yeah, well, She-Hulk is Bruce Banner's cousin, Jennifer Walters. Uh, in the comics, she was... I believe she was a, a district attorney or an assistant district attorney and was shot in an attempted uh, mob hit. And she was dying, and she needed a blood transfusion, and Bruce Banner uh, had the matching type, along with the bonus of... Uh, horrific levels of gamma radiation. Mm-hmm. So for a while she was, you know, the the her original series was called The Savage She-Hulk. And she, you know, when she got angry, she got big and green. Um and eventually she gained more control over her um Her abilities and, you know, was pretty much, she was Jennifer all the time. Um, Just sometimes she was almost seven feet tall and green. And then, you know, she became an Avenger. Uh, Yeah, the Hulk was an Avenger first, but She-Hulk was an Avenger much longer. And then, uh, then, yeah, after Secret Wars, uh, she took the thing's place on the Fantastic Four for a while. Howard the Duck, like I said, the man thing, aside from being a big uh, blob of walking swamp muck that sets people on fire when he touches them. But only if they're afraid. That's right. Um, he also was the guardian of the nexus of all realities and with some kind of interdimensional stuff going on. Howard ended up popping through to our our reality. And eventually he met uh, a young lady named Beverly Switzler, who uh, became his friend, possibly love interest. I always thought they were friends. But uh, the, the more I've been reading, they uh, they, they, they have yeah, a deep there's connection
0: elements of a romance.
1: You know, we, we do get a cameo by Bev in in this, which I really appreciated. But, um, you know, Howard, the, the slogan was always uh, Howard is trapped in a world he never made. Even though he's a, a duck from another universe, he is sort of the everyman. Is sometimes the only one with any common sense and just trying to hang on to a little bit of sanity in a crazy world. Surrounded by the likes of Dr. Bong, the Space Turnip, Dr. Angst and his Band of the Bland. Um, <laughs> all sorts of, all sorts of things like that. Uh, occasionally when the story calls for it, he, he does know a little bit of martial arts. He is a master of quack foo. Oh my gosh. The more recent stories, he's gotten a job as a private investigator. So he actually, um, has in more recent years, crossed paths with She-Hulk, uh, it, for, for work-related purposes. But this, this was the first time they, they met, you know, in, in continuity. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: All right, man. Well, if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's we'll jump into these first two issues and let's let's hear what happens in uh, issues 14 and 15 of the Sensational She-Hulk.
1: Okay. Well, issues 14 and 15 they were released, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on February 6th and March 6th, 1990. For the creative team, and this this does stay the same uh, all through, although the covers change a little bit. But as we've discussed, written by Steve Gerber, penciled by a young Brian Hitch who wow. uh, helped uh, bring uh, bring the Ultimates uh, to fruition and has, has done a lot of stuff. And now, usually whenever he does a book, it's an event. Looks like here he was just kind of cutting his teeth. Marvel. An inker that I believe you're familiar with, Jim Sanders third. Letterer is Jim Novak, colorist Glennis Oliver. The editor is Bobby Chase, who I always remember because she actually popped up with a, a word balloon in Sensational She-Hulk number 3, which was the first first issue I read. And I think she edited The Hulk around this time, too, so I recognize her name. Editor-in-chief was Tom DeFalco. The cover for issue 14, I believe we determined just before we started uh, recording, was by uh, another favorite artist of mine, Mark Teixeira, right. and inked by Harry Candelario. That's what I'm calling it. Uh, that's how I'm pronouncing his name. I like it. So issue 14, there's a lot of great titles in these, but I don't think they ever topped the first one a baloney place of dying
0: that's right this is part one of the cosmic squish principle
1: yeah it, it's it's uh, so small on the cover I almost didn't didn't notice it uh. <laughs> right right. And clearly, I didn't put it in the notes here. Rookie synopsisizer here. All right, so the story opens with a bald observer in space, waxing on about how his race took a vow to observe but never interfere after a disastrous interaction with a less advanced society. They, of course, became the Watchers, but our narrator joined a splinter sect that offers commentary on what they observe, the critics. This particular critic was watching matter being pulled into a black hole about ten years before the start of the story when... A giant plunger struck the event horizon, reversing its flow to create a trans-dimensional blowhole. That's a technical (laughs) term. I made sure that I uh, was saying it correctly. (laughs) From there, we segue into She-Hulk and her assistant, Wheezy, who is actually a Golden Age heroine known as the Blonde Phantom, as they investigate a mysterious phenomenon in Mount Pressure, Vermont. She-Hulk has dug up what appears to be a pitch-black cowbell, but is actually some sort of high-gravity container for... Something, which promptly escapes as a coil of energy and dumps She-Hulk in a nearby frozen pond. Noticing the container is now white, she reaches in and her hand emerges in Cleveland, specifically the refrigerator of one Howard the Duck. The scene shifts to a prison in New York where a convict named Floyd Mangles has forgotten to hide his box of mundane items, including a plunger, beneath his drop cloth of invisibility. After assuring the warden and guard the objects pose no threat, Floyd mentally gloats that the big squish is coming, and it can't be stopped. (laughs) The big squish. Back in New York, She-Hulk is weakened and ill, feeling much like she did when her cousin Bruce gave her that life-saving transfusion of his gamma-irradiated blood many years ago. With Reed Richards unavailable, She-Hulk contacts the only theoretical physicist she knows, an old college boyfriend named Brent Wilcox. Wilcox theorizes the container holds an entire universe inside it, and further investigation shows its building blocks are made of cold cuts and various sandwich ingredients. As he and She-Hulk ponder this mystery, Howard is delivered to the office by the critic. He plucked the duck out of Cleveland, deciding his non-Terran instincts were needed to avert a crisis linked to the mysterious container and the reversed black hole. Wilcox gets knocked into the container, and She-Hulk follows... Dragging Howard along until she can figure out how he's connected to all this strangeness. They land in the baloney verse, but before they can start searching for Wilcox, they have to contend with the fact that She Hulk has reverted back to her human form, which apparently was not a thing she did uh, at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah, in subsequent issues, they, they make reference to that. I guess she hadn't been just Jennifer for a while. And now we go to what may have been your favorite title, uh, issue 15, with a cover by Dale Keown and inked by Joseph Rubenstein, a story entitled Secret Warts.
0: Oh my gosh, this is great. This is so good.
1: A horde of demonic critters descend upon Jen and Howard, at first more interested in devouring the cold-cut landscape than the new arrivals. When their attention shifts, Jen and Howard hop onto another meat platform careening through the void and land on a nearby meatball, as you do. More creatures erupt from the surface and attack Jen, who suddenly transforms into a larger, angrier, very gray She-Hulk. And keep in mind, this was around the time that uh, the original Hulk was gray as well. Mm. So she starts channeling angry Bruce Banner Hulk, referring to herself in the third person, saying how she hates puny Jennifer, etc. Just as she's lashing out at Wilcox for something he did to Jen in college... The critic intervenes to return them to Wilcox's office and get them back on track toward saving the universe, a mission of which Howard, Jen, and Wilcox remain unaware. In an interlude, we meet a rest home resident who undergoes a savage transformation into the Golden Age hero known as the Terror. He brutally dispatches the manager of the facility, who mismanaged its funds, and the investor who took advantage. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the leadership of the prison discover Floyd Mangles was a bona fide supervillain named Dr. Angst. The building begins to shake as a six-story power drill affects Mangle's escape. Once outside, he uses a series of mundane magical artifacts, his specialty, to locate his associates in the Band of the Bland. Tilly the Hun, the Black Hole, Sitting Bullseye, and the Spanker. (laughs) This is not their first appearance, as they attempted to assassinate Howard when he was the presidential nominee of the All-Night Party back in Marvel Treasury Edition number 12 in 1976. Back at her New York offices, uh, Jen and company are trying to figure out what exactly happened. At some point, Wilcox has theorized that the Baloneyverse was a failed universe that has been stored in one of these uh, cowbell-shaped containers. Didn't work out because it was a universe based on sandwich ingredients. Was somehow tucked away there for safekeeping. What were they?
0: What were they calling it here? It was a encroachiverse.
1: Yes. Right. Is that yes. what? Is that Encursions. what it was? Okay. okay. Which, <sighs> until somebody proves me wrong, I'm going to say was the basis for the whole Jonathan Hickman Secret Wars and the incursions and things like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they were going to call them encroachments, but they decided to call them incursions. Okay, I like to I think like Jonathan
1: <laughs> Hickman read this and thought, why only four issues, Marvel?
0: Yeah, the boat? you guys missed the boat. My turn now. <laughs> so,
1: it, initially, they, they seem, Jen seems to think that she's actually been cured, but uh, comes to realize that she's more likely following the pattern Bruce did when he was initially the Gray Hulk and changing at sundown. So she, Wilcox, Howard, and Louise hop into her uh, flying Dodge, which I thought was a S.H.I.E.L.D. flying car, but I I think it has another origin. Uh, Oh, interesting. They are racing the sunset trying to get to the underground uh, bunker in New Mexico where Bruce rode out his early transformations. Once inside, Jen finds she's not alone as there are a pair of frightened teenagers who took shelter there because of their wards, which are secret. Yes, they are. None of this is working out the way the critic hoped, leaving him to watch as a mass of debris and condensed failed universes hurtle toward the earth. Oh. That is the end of Sensational She-Hulk number 15.
0: Wow. There are so many times I've read a comic that's tried to be funny. Uh, the The goal was to try and make the reader laugh. And of course, it. as you grow older, it's kind of tough to read something, at least for me. I'm just I don't know if you become too cynical or or what, but this hit all the like rights, all the silly spots for me. It's so fu- so silly that it was funny and it's tough for that to be hit. And that was on the mark for me in these two issues. Now, let's start with the titles. The titles are like warped versions of comic book titles, which is great. Uh, A Baloney Place of Dying which was, you know, the lonely place of dying that was happening over in D.C. at the time, which was a Batman storyline. Secret Wars and Secret Warts, obviously. And then we're going to have a couple others that pop up here in the next two. So that's neat. I I love that. I love that little touch. When you start off with a cosmic plunger reversing the pull of a black hole, you're good to go in my book. (laughs) You see this huge plunger come up and hit this black hole and it reverses it. I was like, this story is how, how off the rails is the story going to get? The six story tall drill. Funny. Shulky's arm coming through. uh, She sticks it through. It's just so random. I think that's what gets me. It's random. It feels so random. Like she sticks her arm through this thing and it comes to the back of Howard's fridge of all places. His fridge. The baloney verse, for crying out loud. That is is, is absolutely silly.
1: Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say, it's not so random. Sometimes I think when people are trying to be funny, they're just like, let's just say the most crazy, off-the-wall, random stuff. And and some of this is, but some of it comes together m- more than you might expect, or you get the feeling there's, there's more thought put into it than just, well, where's her hand go? I know, Howard's refrigerator. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean... Just, you know, you, you almost wonder which came first, a baloney place of dying or how about a universe whose basic form of matter is baloney? Oh, wait, I can make a funny title out of this. Right, right, right. And But but it, but it works. I mean, especially those first two titles, those are not random joke titles, or at least they weren't only random joke titles because they tie directly into the story.
0: They do. that. That's exactly right. I, OK, I can tell you that I think Secret Warts, the title, was derived first. Because there's no way that they decided to end the second issue with these two kids that have warts that (laughs) are hiding in a bunker. Like, they set you up at the beginning to think, oh, well, you know, clearly it's a Uh, baloney-verse. And and you see secret warts, and you're like, how are they going to work this in? Story, 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 story continues to go on. You're like, "Uh, there's nothing to do with secret warts here. What's going on? And like three panels from the end, the kids show up, and they're like, what are you doing in here? You know, we got got warts and they're secret. And I, I laughed. I legitimately, and I don't know what it takes to make somebody laugh out loud, but it worked for me. And I laughed out loud legitimately when I read that, because it was like, that's how they did it and it was so funny like these kids are hiding in this vault because they're so ashamed that's the way i took it initially they're so ashamed of these warts that they don't want anybody to know and oh my goodness here comes some lady well they're secret warts oh i i was so tickled and had a fun time with these first two issues now i haven't even talked about like mangle's team which you said had been around for a
1: little while the the band of the bland this was their second this is their second and for most of them final appearance in this storyline there was a storyline in 1976 where howard was nominated for president by the all-night party and these all folks night were, party yes. all night party <laughs> and these folks were hired to assassinate him and well. I, it's it's been a while since i read it but i believe he teamed up with the defenders to repel the attack
0: Oh, my gosh. So, of course, there are these three or I should say these four members of this team, which you didn't get into it because I know you're doing a synopsis. You're not getting into the details, but the details on how Dr. Angst becomes the doctor, number one, by eating an old like moldy cracker that has a fly <laughs> on it or something.
1: The Eucharist. And,
0: <laughs> I mean, come on. And people don't know because you went through the list of who these people are that are on his team. But folks, the spanker, if you would have just took the text box off of there and just had a picture of this guy, you would have thought it was Frank Castle, the Punisher. But no, that's the joke. He's the spanker. And he has a paddle van, by the way, folks. We find out later a paddle, that's P-A-D-D-L-E, not battle van, paddle van.
1: As long as we're talking about the spanker, My my favorite uh, thing about him, even more than the smiley face that he has instead of a skull, is his (laughs) real name. Did did you catch his real name, Jesse?
0: Oh, uh, yes. uh, You actually pointed it out. I looked it over, and I. I, But please tell the listeners.
1: Okay. Well, the Punisher's real name is Frank Castle. uh, This gentleman's name is Fred Hovel.
0: (laughs) That is great. Uh, We have a
1: canon, folks.
0: That's it's beautiful. It really is. Uh, The only other note I had here was the terror uh, and we're, you know, actually, I'm just going to save that. Just be aware folks. I didn't know what in the world was going on with this guy. Uh, I have no idea why he's getting involved in this story. You know, he, he, uh, what what does he do? He like brings some justice. He's an older guy and all of a sudden he turns into this, like, he he, he almost looks kind of like a Dracula kind of guy. He he Um, transforms in the presence of evil. Yes, he does, and he did, and he wreaks some havoc. Now, how does he figure into this? Well, we're going to find out here later, because some of the best moments of this comic and the terror are to come in the next two issues. But uh, all right, I'm pulling back here, Evan Bevins. What are your notes, man?
1: Okay, so right away uh, we're introduced to the critic, and this just this just feels like Steve Gerber. I mean, the, this is you know very um, not so subtle parody, but but still you know clever funny right from the start you know the the guy's dialogue repugnant though it may be i must make a decision <laughs> you know, instead of instead of just sitting back and saying what everybody else does wrong he's got to take action i i liked uh, that we got to see beverly and you know we we didn't get any not or sykes for you but um as far as 90s conventions goes uh she's working as a ninja
0: yes indeed and this i remember her talking about or maybe it was howard this is no it was her she says she may have missed the train on the ninja thing because (laughs) this is 1990 i'm like and the turtles are still going strong here i I mean i don't think you've missed that boat
1: but uh and and howard says look i tried to tell you when that many ninjas are out of work (laughs) it (laughs) means there's not a demand that's why they're teaching (laughs) you know howard's always the sensible one You know, a a lot of this, aside from from the comedy, especially in issue fifteen, it really the way Gerber writes Howard as a character really stands out. I mean, you know, She Hulk's mad at him. She dragged him into this baloney verse because she didn't know what was going on. But once they're in danger, Howard's putting all that aside. You know, he I mean, he's still sardonic and sarcastic because that's that's who he is, but he doesn't let his frustration with She Hulk put them in more danger. You know, he's he's working with Jen and you know, and she, and she even apologizes for dragging him along. And then she hulks out and turns on him, and Howard's like, Okay, I gotta I gotta I gotta talk this lady down. And she says, Is Duck She Hulk's friend? <laughs> and Howard goes, Well, to be honest, I hadn't given the relationship yeah. much thought. <laughs> Once they get back and Jen's thinking, Oh, I'm cured, you know, Howard's the one that figures out, Well, she didn't realize what she turned into, so he's telling Wilcox, Hey, you you gotta let her down easy. You gotta tell her that that she's got a problem. And you know, Howard doesn't do it himself. He's snarky, he's he's easily angered, but but he recognizes, you know, that this is a person who's who's hurting and, and in trouble. And so right. I, I just like the way that he um he's not just a one dimensional grumpy old man.
0: I'm calling Gray She-Hulk, by the way, is now the sensational. Well, actually, they crossed that out, but I'm going to call her the She-Bulk. When she turns gray, folks, she just doesn't turn at at this point. She doesn't just turn Jennifer walters she hulk gray she is a massive hulk-like lady with bulging muscles everywhere uh so it's a definite change from what you're used to if you're reading she hulk and you talked about how this was going on in the regular the incredible hulk title as well that happened she turns into the more savage mindset she's more simple-minded she's not she's lost her intellect
1: this was something that, that they actually did uh 25 or so years later, um, where She-Hulk almost died in Civil War II. Thanos almost killed her, and War Machine died in that attack. When She-Hulk almost died, and when she came back from it, she was traumatized, and she was a bigger, savage, gray She-Hulk. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. Th- I don't know that they actually, uh, you know, were specifically referencing this this story, but that is, you know, so because you know, Hulk's transformations are tied to their emotional state, so right Uh, this this is something that that was revisited let's see then then like you said we we get to see dr angst in action one one thing i'm not the biggest dr strange fan but i i like his flair for for dramatic dramatically naming objects and stuff you know he's got a lot of alliteration by the hoary hosts of Haggath. right you know the book of the vashanti stuff like that and dr angst has his own uh Things such as the uh, well, the drop cloth of invisibility, which predates <laughs> Harry Potter's cloak of invisibility, um, <laughs> the Eucharitz cracker, the object he reversed the black hole's polarity with was the plunger of the Patootie. Oh wow! Um, so he escapes in some uh, balloons that he refers to as the inflatable orbs of Ig. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, the shoe. You got to talk about the shoe. And now, as I gaze into my pedestrian prognosticator, the penultimate phase begins. He's looking into a shoe to see, like, in the fetid folds of its insole. I shall locate my former associates.
1: Of its insole. <laughs> oh, yeah. S-O-U-L. Right and again as as we'll see in the subsequent issues it's not just the the puns like there is a reason that he draws power from these dull mundane objects it's not just a gag which is pretty darn funny mm-hmm. but it, it it even factors into the uh, to the story as well
0: it's not like the art is something to you know, miss out on either. There's, there's always, there may be some gags and some panels too that you may be missing.
1: It's not as stylized as what you think of with Hitch's pencils now. It's it's more almost like a, like a house style, but I mean, it's, it's, it's very clear and effective as, as comic art. And yet it does, you know, lend itself into the, uh, the comedy without being real exaggerated or or absurd. Look at the costume
0: of Dr. Angst. Yes. All right. So the, they were thinking
1: the, about the cosplayers before cosplaying was, <laughs> was really big. I mean, you you could make a better costume than this.
0: At all. <laughs> this is you want to see somebody at a con uh, at a con with this on because it looks like he took that looks like a headlight yeah. uh, off of a car to attach his cape, which is purple and orange with a green I guess costume underneath some green gloves and. I'm going to just say it's a piece of tape or something across the chest that says sorcerer and an arrow pointing to the word sorcerer just in (laughs) case you didn't get it. And his belt, folks, to hold everything together to complete this ensemble looks like an extension cord because there's definitely a plug hanging off the side of that. (laughs) Off the side of that. So it's just... I mean, I can't... It's good stuff. It's great stuff. Well... Let's go ahead. We'll get into the next two, man. I'm having a good time. Let's see what's happening.
1: All right. Uh, We keep the same creative team. The cover on issue uh, 16 is Dale Keown, this time inked by Ernie Colon. colon. Uh, I'll just just pronounce it every possible way. Uh, This issue came out on April 3rd, 1990. And then uh, issue 17 was Keon inked by Joseph Rubenstein Stein, and it came out on May 1st, 1990. Issue 16, uh, borrowing again from a classic DC story, is entitled "The Lowbrow Hunters."
0: <laughs>
1: While trying to escape Bruce Banner's old bunker, She-Hulk threatens to smash and crush the puny humans for putting her in there, not to mention sue them for wrongful imprisonment. Just a quick <clears throat> reminder that Steve Gerber is writing this, um, and that She-Hulk was a lawyer. The teens hiding out there because of their gamma-induced secret warts are impressed and help her escape with the powers their blemishes bestow. She-Hulk, for some reason, wants to smash Wilcox and Louise. Howard seems to have gotten a pass. And the kids suggest they might be at the nearby Gamma Ray Dude Ranch and Spa. This is in the Hulk's old stomping grounds, after all. Right. She-Hulk rampages through the tourist trap, only to be overcome by the steam from the natural hot spring baths which include uh, some residual gamma radiation. She falls into one and comes out looking and sounding more like her old self, but still gray. And Wilcox theorizes that residual gamma radiation triggered the new mutation. Then we get a montage of Dr. Angst reuniting his band of the bland and giving us an update on the status circa 1990 of Tilly the Hun, the Spanker, the Black Hole, and Sitting Bullseye. She-Hulk and company start to realize that they really have no idea what's going on. Howard describes the Critic in his oath of non-interference, which gets Jen thinking correctly about Watchers. While her traveling companions bicker, Jen turns on the radio in a convenient news broadcast informs them that more compacted universes are falling to Earth and tells them about a sighting of the Critic. The Critic leapt from a 747 in frustration that his plan to save the universe wasn't panning out and lands next to a rest home where the Terror lives. Uh, Sensing his presence, the Critic uses his power to determine the Terror's origin. All right, sit back, folks. You're about to hear a classic comic book origin.
0: This is fantastic. I love this.
1: The Terror, a.k.a. Laszlo Pevley was rescued from a near-fatal car accident by a scientist whose dog had just died while defending him from a runaway gorilla. To save Laszlo's life, the scientist injected him with a serum derived from the dog's brain just as two gangsters burst in. The presence of evil triggers Laszlo's transformation into the terror, complete with a vampire cape that disappears after he slaughters the criminals just in time for the professor to die of a heart attack. (laughs) Before we can figure out where the terror fits into all this, She-Hulk's flying car plows right into one of the failed universes where an array of bizarre creatures are hurtling through the air to their self-inflicted doom. (laughs) As the verse was built on lunch meat, this reality appears to revolve around suicide. Oh, wow. And on that cheery note, we segue to issue 17... Uh, which references one of my all-time favorite crossovers that I still need to do an epic blog or possible podcast series on, uh, Acts of Vengeance with Acts of Peevishness. (laughs) She-Hulk's Flying Dodge hurdles through the suicide verse, prompting her to clear the falling masses with little moral debate. Wilcox deduces they flew into another failed universe like the Cold Cuts cosmos, but Howard breaks into his theorizing to ask how multiple universes can exist in the same place at the same time. Wilcox's answer? They can't. They would squish each other, compacting like the ones that have been trapped in the strange containers. His point is proven when they emerge in St. Louis, despite having not traveled long or far enough to reach it. They hurtle through several other verses, each giving Gerber a chance for some commentary brought to life by Hitch's pencils. Finally, they reach London, which has been squished right up against New York. The critic arrives, having fully given up on his watcher critic's creed after failing to reveal the nature of the threat to the terror in a game of 20 questions. Never saw you ought to try that one. (laughs) The scene shifts to an area of Manhattan that is exempt from the squishing of the universe along with four other locations, Henderson, Nevada... El Segundo, California, most of New Jersey, and the planet Squazzle, known for manufacturing (laughs) doorstops. These places will form the building blocks of Dr. Ankh's new Insipiverse, a mundane realm that he will rule and no higher powers will want to interfere with because it's so dull. (laughs) Howard realizes his old foe is behind the plot once the critic rattles off these locales and their unremarkable characteristics. Before they can take action, though, The Band of the Bland arrives. Tilly the Hun challenges She-Hulk. Sitting Bullseye shows his bravado by targeting the elderly, untransformed terror. The Spanker decides to discipline Louise, and the Black Hole sucks the critic into his singularity. But Jesse, they forgot about Howard. Oh, boy. The duck turns the tide by shoving his cigar into the spanker's mouth, allowing Louise to dish out a little punishment of her own. Sitting Bullseye finds himself outmatched when the terror transforms, and She-Hulk wrests Tilly's mace from her and literally knocks her out of the park. (laughs) Wilcox (laughs) contributes by figuring out that the black hole could absorb and condense all the universes, just like the containers, and the gang force his singularity open wide enough for the critic to escape. With the critic's powers directing the vacuum, (laughs) the day is saved. (laughs) The critic makes everybody forget he was there. She-Hulk goes green again, and we finish with the critic sitting atop the bloated black hole, reading a book entitled Crisis Management on Infinite Earths.
0: (laughs) I don't know if you have this in your notes for the very end, but I want to say how much joy it brings me to watch the critic have to be like the, would you call him the deus ex machina of what has to happen here? The guy, because he's the critic, but he has to be the very thing that he hates <laughs> in yes. order to resolve this conflict.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, in in my notes, I, I wrote, you know, that this was kind of meandering for three issues. They had no idea what they were supposed to be doing. And then everything gets crammed into the end. If you even start to criticize that, you realize there's literally a character in the story pointing out the problem. It's like exactly. you know what you're doing. That you, You're, you're, you know, you're wondering, you're missing the point. You're wondering away from the plot. What is going on here? You know, now I I have to save everything and, and rush this all to completion. You know, and I mean, I I... I don't think that Gerber accidentally made the story meander right. and then ru- rushed to its conclusion. He he was doing that on purpose, but if he dropped the ball anywhere or made a mistake, who's going to, who's going to criticize him? He's already yeah. written a character in there pointing out all the flaws in the story.
0: Dude, That's genius. I, I will tell you that there were points in the story where I was trying to understand the logistics of the black hole and the alternate universe and their plan to cry and try and, fix things because it's not like it was just left off the table no you've got professor wilcox explaining everything and how they're going to try and fix this but none of it made sense to me whatsoever i'm sitting there i'm like okay these things are encroaching on each other and he's going to do this to undo it and it all came down to them using the black hole to suck all this stuff in and then finally i got to a point where it's like i don't care I don't, I really don't. I want. I. I think what I need to, to do was just realize I wanted to be, or I should be on the ride, not trying to figure out what the ride is doing. That takes the enjoyment away. It took me a few times to realize, oh, just go with it, man. None of it's supposed to, me. you're trying to make sense of a story that started, or I should say the beginning of this story ended in a baloney verse. What are you doing? (laughs) Stop what you're doing right now. Stop trying to make sense of this and just enjoy the tale. Of course, it's all neatly wrapped up in a bow. Boom. We hit them with the memory loss, uh, the amnesia of everything. Nobody remembers anything. Boy, would somebody tear that apart. But guess what? The critic's already done that. Yeah. (laughs) The critic has already done that. Genius bit of writing, in my opinion. Okay. You told the origin of the terror, And I wrote it in all caps. The terror telling his origin to the critic is probably one of my it's up there as far as one of my favorite parts of this book, Um, (laughs) because it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. This this gorilla breaks in and the dog is what had me like the dog's face started glowing and you're like what is going on An escape gorilla came in and out of the rain to interrupt the secret scientific research of one of professor storm the ape attacked but storm's faithful dog rex leaped to his rescue something in the little mutt caught fire as he went after the ape his skull began to glow and with a ferocity you don't generally see in a beagle mix (laughs) He tore the he tore out the ape's throats. Uh, Rex had saved his master, but at the cost of his own life. Storm was aghast, of course, but he didn't have much time to ruminate. Just then, a car was struck by lightning. A car was struck by lightning and rammed into a tree. The driver, yours truly. See, I was trying to figure. Oh, it's like, oh, this is the professor. No, wait a second, it's not. It's the guy that hits the tree. So anyway, yours truly lay in a puddle of blood and mud. I would have died that night if not for the daring and slightly demented idea that occurred of storm. He strapped me into a gizmo. See, you're like, okay. so this guy runs out, finds this dude who's about nearly dead. and He's like, oh, you know what I need to do. He strapped me into a gizmo that bombarded my nervous system with high frequency radio waves. He shot me up with a serum distilled from Rex's brain. This is how he decided to save him. The, the gangsters break in. What happened next was astounding. He turns into the terror, rips evil to shreds, as he says. That accomplished, I reverted my normal self, and the pro- professor had died of a heart attack. Well, not quite. <laughs> he lived long enough to tell me about the gorilla and the dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. It's like, they, it, I mean, it, they know everything is just unbelievable. But here it is, folks. This is what happened. And even I can't believe it. But anyway, I loved him telling this origin and how just insane it was, and the fact that they acknowledge how insane it was. Great stuff.
1: Oh yeah, and and there's so many pieces of so many superhero origins in in, in that story. I mean, there's a there's a little bit of swamp thing in there. You know, how many yeah. people have uh, had their lives saved by a you know unorthodox experiment.
0: And so. when he changes, when he changes into the terror, so does his clothes.
1: Yes. <laughs> but, but he, he, here's the thing: the terror is a real character from like 1940, right? So I'm I'm going through my stuff, and I'm I, I
0: sent you the message because I was just on a lark. I was like, "Has this guy been around for a while?" And I sure enough looked him up on uh, I think it was MarvelFandom.com, and there was the bio and i looked at the date that he was created and i was like this guy's been around for that long and i have a feeling number one they probably did their research looking for one of the craziest origins out there for a marvel hero and somebody who hasn't been used for a while probably not hard to find
1: I, I i'm trying to look it up now sadly there's only one issue of mystic comics on marvel unlimited and it's not that
0: one. No, oh, bummer Oh, yeah. By the way, my so my other note here about the terror telling his origin to the critic is I I said, also, the critic would be the last person you'd want to tell that origin to (laughs) (laughs) Do not want to tell that guy that there's a lot of commentary. And we're going to get into this here, probably because I'm still on issue 16. But there's a lot of commentary that Gerber has about the human, uh, you know, humanity and the human race and, and their their nature, I guess, human nature, specifically the fact that people are going to become curious about these anomalies that have been sitting there. And he's <laughs> yes. just, he's waiting for them to start poking these anomalies and it's going to cause problems. And then everybody starts poking these things. One guy in France is taking a baguette or a long piece of bread <laughs> and poking this into the anomaly. Oh, I, it's hilarious just to see it drawn on the page is funny um, oh yeah it's great but uh that was uh issues 16 i'm gonna i'm gonna stop i've been talking for a while uh because we need to talk about the universes but I, if you have any other notes other than those go ahead
1: yeah the the origin really stands out the origin of, of the terror i'd love to read the original story and see uh where where it came from you know i, I like getting to see more of the band of, of the bland you know a lot of them are fairly straightforward but But the one that I I did a little bit more research on, because he was one I thought you wouldn't see this guy in a comic today, was sitting bullseye. And I found out he is not Native American. He definitely looks it, or at least he's trying to look it anyway. He was was a CIA agent who went undercover with a Native tribe. I, I think it was to frame them for... Either counterfeiting or smuggling drugs, some something like that. Sorry, I don't I don't have it pulled up right right in front of me. But he was he was trying to he went undercover, but he was trying to frame them. In response, they tattooed a bullseye on him. Oh yes, his his real name is uh, Oliver Bedwet. Bedwet, B E D W E T T E.
0: Of course. Uh... So yes,
1: he's got a he's got a bullseye tattooed on his chest to make his undercover activities more difficult. Wow. Uh, Yeah, a CIA operative who was sent to infiltrate the American Indian movement to look for proof that they were producing illegal alcohol. Uh, The natives eventually discovered his true identity and tattooed a large target on his chest before running him off their reservation. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the the spanker is pretty straightforward. Uh, The Black Hole was a carnival sideshow attraction, and Tilly the Hun was at a gym for plus size women. So, (laughs) Jeez, (laughs) cramity. You know, just Gerber reaching back, bringing these characters back, um, just fantastic to right. um, to see that. Now, the, the only one that ever appeared anywhere after this, I don't remember the name of the series, but um, the Black Hole, I think, showed up in Ravencroft Asylum in some event involving Carnage. He was just shown off in a cell, I think. But I think oh, okay. he's the only one that ever appeared after this, at least according to the Marvel fandom. So that's that. That's about all I had on uh, on issue sixteen. If you wanna wanna segue into to seventeen, where uh, there's a whole lot squished in there. Uh,
0: the only thing I'll, I'll kind of open it with is, boy, do we have some '90s references here, uh, right here on this first page, where everybody is apparently trying to kill themselves in the suicide averse. As everybody is dying, or I should say. Trying to commit suicide, they could. They're uttering things like "cry, die, slide." They're trying to rhyme. Apparently, square. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're going to rhyme "die" with "die." It's always going to rhyme. Yeah. But "cry, cry, die, slide, die, square root of pi, die, slow <laughs> die, slow die, bow doesn't know die." Now that
1: is a '90s <laughs>
0: reference, folks. That's beautiful. But I'll let you go first on the notes here, man, because you're probably going to hit most of the stuff I have anyway. So please go ahead.
1: I mean, j- just the the opening. Uh, with you know, She-Hulk trying to clear all the uh, hurtling critters off, and she says, what will it be, fellas, up or down? And uh, they say, yeah, no, we we want to die. And she goes, well, it's your universe, your choice. Far be it from me to violate the Prime Directive. Perfect
0: Star Trek yeah. So, reference.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, le- less than a page, she uh, resolves the, the debate over whether she should try to stop these creatures uh, from doing what their, uh, you know, universal imperative is to do.
0: Is to do, right, yeah.
1: But, I mean, then we're, we're, we're just getting started on the Gerber commentary. Let's see. We have the Don't Worry, Be Happy verse.
0: Yes. And, folks, Don't Worry, Be Happy, just to kind of put this out here. I grabbed from the wiki because – my goodness, I remember this song. I'm sure Evan Bevins remembers this song. 1988, Bobby McFerrin comes out with "Don't Worry, Be Happy," which I think was off of his fourth album. He'd been a he'd been around for a while. We'd never even heard of this guy, uh, but his fourth album, "Simple Pleasures," in 1988, my son. My youngest uh, yesterday was singing Don't Worry, Be Happy. And I'm like, do you know, did you know that that's (laughs) where you got that from? And I'm sure it was YouTube. But uh, anyway, to hear him uh, to hear him singing, I was like, you know, that's Bobby McFerrin, right? He has no idea what I'm talking (laughs) about.
1: And uh, it, it seems like maybe uh, Steve Gerber didn't think that was uh, that was the best philosophy. It's not just a joke like hey here's a whole universe based on the song don't worry be happy There's commentary right there which is is weird because I would have been led to believe that uh, politics and comics was only a recent phenomenon
0: yeah that's you've been you've been horn sir
1: <laughs> yeah I mean you know you've got this absolutely goofy joke and Steve Gerber saying, Look at what's wrong with the world, and people are going around singing, Don't worry, be happy.
0: Right. All all water filthy, be happy.
1: It's like,
0: (laughs) Oh man, it's sad, really. Rain acid, be happy.
1: (laughs) It's like, Geez, (laughs) Louise. And then we go into the trash averse made of garbage and supermarket tabloids, with apparently a whole problem with people being born with two heads. (laughs) Right. It's all,
0: uh, it is all over. Yeah, this is basically it. the landscape. It's so interesting because I love this kind of um, this kind of I don't know if tropes the right word where you're going through alternate realities and seeing what's out there. And and yes, it, it, we're hitting this earth where there is nothing but like just piles upon trash but trash goes both ways here we got trash in the media uh with the print media here in these uh, tabloids and of course trash all over the ground and people just waiting to get that next issue so they can uh read about uh apparently some donald trump uh they were so engrossed (laughs) with the trumps right now
1: yes so then we go into one that's extremely dated and not at all relevant today uh the media verse Right. Where everyone is a cosmos of Cyclopeans with camcorders for brains where life is spent in an endless loop of interviews and every being is his own talk show.
0: Let me tell you, there is some deep thought going into (laughs) what is going on. And as silly as this is, because it is, it's like somebody with a camcorder on the top of their head, one big eye in the middle and microphones for hands. It really is. If you pick that apart, you're going to start seeing a lot of things that are being talked about. Oh yeah. Um, the first thing I thought about was like podcasts. You and I, we've known each other for a little while now. Podcasts have been a thing since 2005. But at some point we made a decision like, man, w- when we talk, we need this recorded. <laughs> we need to <laughs> we w- we need other people to enjoy this. At, at least in some way you could draw a line from the media verse to what I do, what you and I do, sit here and talking about comics and, and recording each other and interviewing each asking each other questions and putting it on display too. That's the other thing, putting it out there. Of all the universes that we are going to travel through here, the mediaverse is the one that made me go, oh, okay, man, you are talking about something here. It really took me. And of course, I'm sure a lot of it's probably informed back then of the big boom of talk shows. Sure. Uh, but We're just, we're just getting ready to get into uh, Oprah Winfrey's probably getting huge at about this point in 1990. Sally, Jesse Raphael had been around. Donahue had been around for a while.
1: Uh, and this was at least 15 years before somebody decided that people really needed to know what their dinner looked like. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Gerber isn't just tossing random stuff out here.
0: No, no, he's not. Oh, so- that's great.
1: Next, we get the Narcissus verse. This
0: was weird.
1: Yeah, existence is a herd marathon, full of sweat and fury, and looking good. And when you hit the wall, you fall and get eaten.
0: Give me your interpretation of what you see.
1: I was afraid you were going to ask that. Um, I mean, it's people <laughs> who are. Jesse, sometimes subtlety and symbolism go right over my head. Um, Uh, My reflexes are not fast enough to catch it. (laughs) But, I mean, you know, a herd marathon, so people, I mean, it seems like people exercising, doing all this stuff, and not taking the time to to enjoy it. Uh, Image is everything, and, you know, keeping up your appearances and killing yourself to do it, and for what?
0: Do you think that they ran off of the cliff? Oh, yeah. Okay, so they ran off the cliff.
1: Well it's a well a herd marathon I I got I got the impression of Lemmings.
0: Lemmings, right. All right, this next one coming
1: up though, <laughs> it this was one, this one's fun. The 976 averse. <laughs> where flee free floating strangers are linked in perpetual conversation without content. <laughs> I know this Uh, was premium phone lines at that point. It certainly has nothing to do with social media these days. Not relevant at all.
0: No, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not.
1: Did you catch the little jab at DC Comics in there? Oh,
0: did I ever? That was in my notes. Is Robin dead
1: yet? They had the phone number you could call to determine if Jason Todd lived or died. Exactly. Then we fly into the Noriega verse.
0: I have no idea what's going on here, other than everybody looks like George Bush and Noriega, and people have pineapples for heads. No idea. Yeah, what the
1: I'm, I mean, I, I, I remember the name, but uh, I I don't. I would, would have take to go. My it. historical ignorance here. Uh, this was real world happenings, not Howard the Duck and <laughs> She Hulk. So I uh, I am not. I mean, you know, I I understand. You know, Noriega was a dictator, and the government was was involved. Yeah, the more I say, the dumber I sound.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, I, want yeah, to-
1: I, I need to refresh my memory of fairly. Actually, it's not even that recent a history. But then they come out uh, in Merry Old England, <laughs> finally start to put. Well, I won't say two and two together because the, this this doesn't add up. But uh, no way. You know, we get the the critic finally gives up and just says, you know, heck with it. I am interfering.
0: Yeah, I think he had had enough. Yeah. Um, Dr.
1: Angst is filling in his plan, explaining how all this comes together in Six, the Band of the Bland on the heroes, flying to them with the hoary haberdashery of the Vitoli, VTOL, Vertical Takeoff and Landing. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, and and sets up a a showdown where... uh, That actually makes sense. And this actually goes to probably my favorite panel. I I know this isn't an unspoken issue, so we're not picking panels for each issue. But probably my favorite panel in the entire four issues is when the critic is explaining that the only places exempt are the most mundane spots in existence. The look on Howard's face when he realizes it's Dr. Angst. Oh, yes. Like, you will believe a talking duck can experience emotion. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that panel, I mean, even though he's squishing the universe, I didn't think of Dr. Angst as much of a threat until I saw the look on Howard's face. Right. And that made all this absurdity real. I mean, as real as it it can be. But I mean, that that panel is just, it's so simple, but it's just Howard's figuring it out. And he's like, oh, no, I know what's going on here.
0: Do me a favor and tell me, how would you say, how are the ducks catchphrase?
1: (laughs) <laughs> it's like a despairing quack, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and so so you you get the the fight, and you're like, well, hey, they've got the critic, he's got the power of a watcher, and the black hole is just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so then then you 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 get the battle, and uh, yeah, you it's hard to believe these guys would lose track of Howard the Duck, but. Apparently, the spanker really wants to punish uh, old ladies who dress like flirtatious teeny boppers.
0: That's hilarious. Like, that's his favorite thing to do, too. Like,
1: Yeah. Howard thinks she probably deserves a good whacking. On the <laughs> other hand, spanker's enjoying it way too much. <laughs> oh, the spanker. He doesn't like her, but Howard knows the right thing to do.
0: The spanker with his, what is it? Oh, hold on. His discipline report? Is that what it was? Oh, yeah. It's- instead
1: of the war journal
0: this <laughs> discipline report in the paddle van oh man uh yeah and it's funny like this weirdo obsession of the black hole wanting to like suck the dodge in yeah. like <laughs> i want to get that dodge i'm gonna get it <laughs> he's like one fin in baby i got one fin in <laughs> and
1: then and then the critic is not uh not impressed he says his greatest aspiration was to ingest a dodge and ambition as limited as his imagination. <laughs> and then the critic gets what I could only hope would become his catchphrase. Suck hot cosmos, dude. <laughs> Dr. Angst just happened to have the one villain with the power to undo his entire plan.
0: It all went so perfectly. This was a treat, man. I had a great time reading it. I really did a lot of fun stuff. This has sold me on Steve Gerber. If I get the chance to read anything else by him, I know it doesn't sound like it's going to be too hard to find anything. I feel like this was something that, you know, hit all the right spots for me to make me go, man, this is a writer that I heard a lot about and the reputation preceded him appropriately.
1: Well, and i mean check out the original howard the duck this is a lot of what you will you will get in in original recipe howard the duck
0: i like it i like it original recipes probably not a good way to describe oh, howard gosh. <laughs> you
1: there there was actually a, one of the comedy what ifs that said you know what if howard was different types of animal types of birds and one was chicken and it was just a bucket of chaos. oh no yeah now did who any idea who wrote that What If? I am I'm not sure that that one had a bunch of different people. That was I think it was volume 2 number 34. That was the the all comedy issue.
0: Fantastic.
1: Oh my gosh, is just it's one of my favorite comics. Though. Is
0: that is that the, uh, the Watcher with the skirt blowing up?
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. What If? No I know that. Watching the Watcher. Uh the main story is What If Thanos turned Galactus into a human? And uh, long story short, with the Infinity Gauntlet, Thanos banishes Galactus to Earth, turns him into a human. That human just happens to be the spitting image of Elvis Presley. (laughs) (laughs) So Galactus must decide whether he wants to return to his destiny as the devourer of worlds, live on Earth with Elvis's second lease on life. All right,
0: She Hulk, the Cosmic Squish Principle. What a fun time here. Evan Bevins, anything left unsaid before we get into plugs.
1: I mean, just, you know, like you said, this makes you want to read more Steve Gerber. I've read a lot of Steve Gerber. This, this makes me want to read even more. I mean, it's just utterly absurd. And yet, there's an intelligence. There's a there's a wit. It's not just let's throw the dumbest thing out there and see if we can get you to spit out your drink. There there's emotion. There's character. You know, there it's tweaking comics, but also you know, taking full advantage of the the conventions of comics. Just loads of fun. Um, I I want to read. They don't have his entire run of She Hulk on Marvel Unlimited yet, so these are. You know, I, I always thought the She-Hulk series was, you know, pretty funny. The the three or four issues I had, th- this is this is a whole another level. So this has gone on my uh, list of things to hunt for at cons and and comic shops.
0: Yeah, issue eighteen, mm-hmm. the Sensational She-Hulk, featuring Doctor Doom's fifth cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it on Marvel Unlimited it jumps from seventeen to twenty four. Uh, which Hitch is still drawing it, but Simon Furman's the writer, and she's taking on Death's Head.
0: Oh wow! Speaking, yeah.
1: Speaking of uh, '90s characters, I probably at this point wouldn't turn down any sensational She Hulk issues I saw, but but the Gerber issues, especially, are are going on the the to, to get list. For
0: sure. All right, man. Well, let's go ahead. We'll get into plugs. I had a great time. What do you, what do you got going on? Plug that, uh, plug that blog that you didn't plug earlier.
1: Yeah. Uh, Asterisk51.blogspot.com. I do have uh, some, even more of my musings about these issues. I did a, uh, did a weekly series on it, you know, to, to coincide with She-Hulk airing on Disney plus and uh, also a breakdown of the, uh, she-Hulk the movie issue, and how it has absolutely no similarities uh, to present-day hijinks with superhero movies, and especially not Batgirl.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> not, not at
1: all. Not at all related. It's uh, not a money-making plot by a nefarious studio head. I'm not, I'm not saying the guy at uh, Discovery Plus or whatever is nefarious, but, you know. Oh, I hear you. I hear there, there, there are some parallels. I'm getting back. Uh I was I was delayed a little bit in my Secret Defenders read through, but uh Jesse, you'll be happy to know that uh the next installment of that is is on the way and features Doctor Strange passing the torch to Dr. Druid and one of the weirdest sights I've ever seen in comics, Doctor Strange with no facial hair.
0: Whoa, look out. Oh, I can't wait to see that.
1: Yeah. Um Pretty crazy. And uh, so and then, you know, from there, you'll you'll occasionally get some reviews or discussions on the various and sundry movies. You can find at dollar tree these days. Just watch Stardog and Turbo Cat with my uh, with my youngest. And that is definitely a movie that I have paid for and seen. (laughs) Check and check um and uh yeah just uh, all all kinds of uh, weirdness it, it leans a little heavily marvel you know i th- there there's other uh, other good stuff in there i did just hey i do have another podcast i can plug i don't have one but i was a guest over on the uh, magazines and monsters channel uh, the brave and the bob talking about Speaking of Batgirl, an issue of Brave and the Bold, where Batman has to deal with not only a new criminal mastermind in town, but the competing affections of Wonder Woman and Batgirl, and one of Whoa. the most convenient love triangles you've ever seen.
0: All right. Well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, you can check out the Source Material Comics podcast right here on the Source Material Comics podcast feed. I have the Sensational She-Hulk slated down here for October 25th. okay. By, the, by this time, then, folks, you should be able to go back and find the Unspoken Issues epic podcast. It's four parts, folks. Four parts. Nice little tiny introduction, part zero. That's happening on the 10th of October. And then part one, two, and three of the Unspoken Issues coverage 18 chapters of Unity. If you don't know much about Valiant Comics, tune into that intro episode. I want to give you an idea and a lowdown of all the characters you're going to get in Unity. And then we talk about the story for three solid days straight. No, it's not that long. It's just... Uh, <laughs> it's about an hour and a half a piece, But three days, one right after the other, you will be able to download a podcast of our discussion of those 18 chapters and it was a ride and a half and I can't believe we actually put everything together. Uh, and I'm pretty proud of it. This is, you'll, you'll notice the production factor has upped its game in those episodes because I'm doing synopsis post edit with background music going on. Uh, but previous to this, you should be able to hear Mark and I discuss the DC event world world war three. And Mark said, I need to talk about black Adam. What's the best thing to talk about black Adam? I don't know. Let's pick an event that happened like right at the end of the 52 event. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank Evan Bevins coming on here to the Source Material Comics podcast, bringing a little bit of Steve Gerber along with him. And I and Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you guys soon. Have a good one. Uh, bye bye. Thanks for joining us. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon.